Today on our show, we're counting down the top 10 Asian films. Asian that, films? That is, films made in Asia with Asian languages, right, Wayne? <laughs> right? Including South Asian. Yes. Or Indian folks. Yes. There 100%. You go. So, uh, let's do this. Welcome to episode 429 of the Pound the Countdown Podcast. <laughs> the Pound Count Podcast. Uh, my name's Wayne. You probably had to say it 429 times. And uh, that's 439. Yeah, whatever. 429 attempts to fuck it up. Exactly. My name is Paul. Welcome to the podcast. We count down movies and sometimes television, but also other stuff now in order of awesome, so you don't have to. And today, because getting Wayne to watch Asian films is like pulling fucking teeth. See, here's how it is. Here's how what I would like to have done. Today would have been the top 10 Japanese films. And then next week, potentially, might have been the top 10, let's say, Chinese films. And then the week after that, top 10 Korean films. And then maybe top 10 rest of Asia films. (laughs) Instead, we have one show, 10 films, because Wayne's in 11 of them. Here's the thing about being Asian, Paul. Uh, By the way, everyone who's new, I'm Asian, so, you know, I'm half Asian. But I call it Asian so I can make Asian jokes. (laughs) All right, so... Sounds legit. And so typically, you're looking for, well, diversity. So, you know, you're not necessarily attracted to Asian films if you're Asian. The same way Paul is not attracted to white women, even though he's white. That's not true. So (laughs) he got yellow fever on films and chicks. And, uh, you know, I'm the other way. So what you going to do? Whoa, 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 hold on. It's not like my dating history is replete with Asian women. And I've dated a few too, okay? So I'm just saying. (laughs) So, yes. Asian films as a general is all you're getting, and I do apologize for lumping the whole continent together, but listen to what I have to fucking deal with <laughs> week in and week out. All right, well, before we get there, though, we kick off most episodes of the show with a segment which we look back on what has already come. It's called The Recount. Who wants a recount? Who? 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 Who wants a recount? Who? 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 Who wants a recount? Who? The recounts where we hear about how hard I got fingered. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. Tell them. <laughs> well, you're not wrong this week. Uh, two weeks ago, we counted down the top 10 rock songs of the 90s, something that's completely my wheelhouse. And as Wayne proved with his list, uh, I, thought, I thought you put a really strong effort in, I have to be honest. You know, but, well, listeners, uh, less so. <laughs> I, uh, here's the thing, right? All through history and time, I have never, no one's ever really agreed with my, uh, with my music choices. So I didn't think it was going to go well. And I was right. Go ahead, boy. <laughs> <laughs> 57 votes recorded 46 of them for me 11 ooh, for ooh, you ooh. not as big a fingering as I got about three weeks ago eh. where I think I got nine votes in, in one particular one Gary Stevenson said sorry Wayne but Paul just waste you in the music department then there was an absolute riot revolt in the masses as the Wayne voting block crumbled for one week where all, it the, exist. all the cousins just went you know what Wayne can't win this one so let's all get together and vote for Paul so he doesn't think the voting block exists you didn't work, fellas. But oh thank God, you. you can't win, can you? As Bloody Ash, Paul Warren and Mike T all basically said, "Yeah, Paul nailed it." They're only querying me about the lack of Red Hot Chili Peppers on this, which was a very hard omission. I will acknowledge. John Amenta from the Pint said, "Wayne's number one is not even the best song by Hole from the '90s." Paul for the win. What would that be? Celebrity shit. 
don't know. John, what is the best whole song from the 90s? But you had there was a little bit of a, a groundswell support. <laughs> so 11 Foxworth. Mina Harker, okay, Dan said, uh, fuck Oasis. But Wayne also gave some love to Montreola Melissa. Melissa, sorry. Off the Moor. Oh, yeah. So She's a vote for Wayne is a yeah. vote for Montreal. And fine with me. I'll take whatever I can get. Uh, Aaron Dundee said, Paul, Paul to Wayne, saving Private Rhymer by putting Smells Like Teen Spirit at number eight definitely should be higher. But Wayne fucked up by putting U2 on his list, which they shouldn't be on any list because they are insufferable. Paul gets my vote. In the 90s, it was all the rage, people. Uh, Alan Smith said, Easy win by Paul. Looks like my driving slash running playlist. Wayne's list looks like the best of the 90s CD you would get for $2 from Wish. Funny you should <laughs> funny you should mention that. I'm the guy who put that together. <laughs> uh, Grant Lanham from the Milk Podcast said, Had to go with Paul this week. Wayne's list was rom-com. Paul's was blockbusters. Yet I was still hoping for some Tarantino. So not hard enough for Grant would be the synopsis there. Oh, okay, sure. And then lastly, Ben Burnham said, well, let's see. The whiny twats from Oasis cancel out the whiny twats from Rage Against the Machine. So it's down to the other nine picks in which Paul's list stomps a muddle in Wayne's. Great pick with Stink Fist Paul and kudos for getting Metallica on the list, even if that is perhaps a middling song from the album. Gentlemen, great episode as all the music episodes have been. Sure, so I'll take it. Thank you to everyone who got back to us. And yeah, nice to win a couple after Wayne has been absolutely pounding me left, right and centre yeah. over the last two or three months. So there you go. Swings and roundabouts, folks. That's it for this week's recount. Let's get into the countdown proper. On the other side, this music cue, the top 10 Asian films. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. Woosha! In fact, it was a little bit frightening. <laughs> but they fought with once again, Wayne's choice of opener song <laughs> this week. Pure class, ladies Send and gentlemen. your hate mail to the Countdown Podcast at gmail.com. Not that we suggest for one second that all Asian films are about kung fu fighting, as we're about to hear, at least from my list. Well, they're about Asians. So there you go. <laughs> Wayne, would you like me to go first? Why not? Or would you like to go first this week? All right, my number 10 is a film which has not got any kung fu fighting in it, just to prove my point. From 2016. Dean is a film directed by Park Chan-wook. It is a Korean film called The Handmaiden. Ah, The Handmaiden. Yes. I've heard of this. You have Tell heard me about it from it. me a couple of times, yes, including on my top 10 sexiest scenes list when we did that episode back with Sam and, and oh, what's Machu. This? What's this? Oh, there's a cum handkerchief. Is that what's going on here? No, Something no, no. Like no. What, which one are you talking about? I don't know. You're talking I don't about know. That. No, this one has, uh, it basically follows, kind of told in three parts, right. and it's a, basically a, a con film set in... Occupied Korea, right? Japanese occupied Korea, and a very rich woman who's a widow. This con man is trying to woo her, get her fortune, get her locked away in a mental asylum, and take over all her lands in the state. And mm. he hires a pretty young sort of accomplice to become a maid or a servant at the house, and she's meant to be working on the inside. But then the complications arise when the maid slash servant and the woman of the house start to have a thing Get for each other. Yeah. Really? And it goes from there. Now, what was the scene you spoke about that was sexy as hell? Well, a little bit of a applying Bonjail gun. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. But this is a it's a gorgeously put together film. The production designs is incredible. It's really it really pulls you along for the ride and it's because it's a one. It's a Korean film, but two, also a Park Chang Wook film. Oh yeah, you just don't know which direction it's going to go. So you are on sort of very much a thriller. You're on the edge of your seat by the end. Like anyone could turn on anyone at any point. You just don't know how it's going to play. That's out. how it is with these Korean ass films, mm-hmm. man. Uh, and I got a couple on my list too. Very difficult to to predict how it's going to go. So the yeah, Handmaiden, really well recommended. It's a long film, 145 minutes, but I feel like it earns that. Bloody length. hell! So yeah. okay, as is the well, this is back 2016. So. 
not that it's the first film that's two and a half hours in length, I'm not suggesting that for a second, but it seems like every second film is two and a half hours long these days. These Korean films are long. I will tell you that. Yes, some, you know, they some tend of, to go a little long. Absolutely okay. can be. All right. Yeah, that's kicking off the list. What about your number 10? Okay, so my number 10. Uh, Paul, around 2006, I dated a friend of yours, Nicola. Remember oh, her? yeah. Well, okay. Friend of a friend. Yeah, someone you know. Anyway, she was quite artsy-fartsy. Uh, and one evening she said, um, let's go to a movie. I'm like, sure. And then I started rattling off mainstream movies that normal people see. <laughs> and then she said, well, what about, you know, at the Lumiere or one of those fucking, mm, like, you know? Luna. Luna. Yeah, it was one of those. Fu- it was the Luna, actually. It was the Luna. Okay. Which is one of our art house cinemas here which in Which still exists to this day. Still around. And I'm like, oh, you want to see one of them cowboy movies, huh? And so she's like, uh, well, you know, what, what's there? Cowboy I'm, movies. Gay cowboy movies is the t- typical gag on, on, on indie films. Right, okay. You know? So anyway. We came up with this Asian film. It's called Curse of the Golden Flower. Hmm. And it stars international action hero Chow Yun-Fat. Okay. And that's how we should refer to him every time. Because exactly. God knows he's going to turn up in this list. Ah, uh, he is. Okay. So it's about, it's set in 928 AD when China had like big ass dynasties and palaces and provinces. And this one is about a power struggle that's in... So Chinese film then. Chinese film, big time, sorry. Uh, and in the palace of China's emperor, um, who is a cruel man, played by Chow Yun-Fan. Right. right. And he's... International action star. International, okay. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> and he's a bit of a prick, because he's secretly poisoning his wife, the queen, uh, with a substance that will eventually drive her insane. Like, but gaslighting, but like with drugs. Mm, and but so, worse. But worse, all right? And then meanwhile, this wife of his... Is fucking her son. Well, her stepson, who is the prince from the from the from a previous marriage of the right. king. Right. Okay. And uh, long story short, the prince secretly wishes to run away with his fucking stepmom, who's the daughter of you know the imperial doctor, who's in the thing. And it's, it becomes this. You'd think it would be some period drama, but it ends up being the, one of the bloodiest movies I've ever seen because mm. in the end, the son tries to overthrow all like the entire fucking palace, and so the king just sends his entire guard of. What looks like thousands of people in the middle of this, like, um, you know, sort of, you know, the, the, like a quadrangle, kind of the big, yeah. the, the town center. And they're all rushing him, but they're all scared to kill him because he's the prince. So all he does is he's swinging his halberd around and killing literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of people, right? And at the end of it, it's just like blood every, it's like almost like a wash with blood the entire, th- and it's like, holy shit, this thing is nuts. It's a crazy film. Okay. and. It's actually very rich looking. I will tell Curse you that. Curse of the Golden Flower. Curse of the Golden Flower. Okay. So it's um, we actually because it was opulent. That was the, that was the reason I agreed. I said, no, this looks like it would actually be quite like good to look at, and it is. There's a lot of you know, Chinese people, a lot of gold clothing. You know, gold, gold and red, red gold and red. Yeah. So that kind of thing. But I, I remember liking it quite a bit more than I thought. So it's kind of worth a look. Okay. Kind of worth a look. Thank you. Nice. My number nine goes back a little bit further. That's from Japan. It's from. A filmmaker who's made some of my favorite sort of low-budget films, and this is one of them. It's called Azumi, directed mm. by Ryu Kitamura. Yeah, yeah. This is based on a manga, I believe, and it basically follows a group of 10 kids who are taken in by this master trainer who they're all orphans or, you know, he's basically picked them up off the, off the street. And over years, these trainers, like literally they go from being kids to young sort of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Uh-huh. And then the opening scene of the film is, all right, pair off, everyone. Get your best friend over. Let's go. We're going to go through exercises today. And he says, okay, kill the other person. Really? Yep. And then so he he takes the five survivors, including Izumi, who is a young woman. And Mm. their mission is to kill the higher-ups in the Japanese sort of government. Is it? Oh, the government. He's going to overthrow, basically, the government and win freedom for Japan. 
Wow. And so once the government slash the evil generals get wind of this, they start sending assassins after these five, basically their assassins, and it's just battle after battle and culminating in one of the greatest action sequences I think ever put to film. Really? Where it's a Zoomy versus, basically a Zoomy versus like 100 people. Guns or knives or nothing, Paul? Uh, swords. Swords? There's all sorts. It's feudal Japan. I, oh, feudal Japan. I should have emphasized. Yeah, so everyone's got swords. The big, the big bad guy who is inevitably going to fight Azumi is like this crazy, crazy guy they've released from prison. And his bloodlust is so much that he every so often he just turns around and starts hacking up his own troops as well. But he doesn't have a guard oh, on his sword. That's his bit. He never defends. He only attacks. And because he attacks so well, he never has to defend. Oh, my. So that's his that's his Yeah, that's a bit cool. Yeah, I mean, you know choice, if you will, his character defining trait other than being a, a complete psycho. Only attack, never defend. Okay. What's her name? Um Lucy Liu from Kill Bill. Yep. Also no guard on her sword. Ah, there yeah, you go. There you are. So this is really there's they've got one of the greatest shots ever too, which I think I've talked about on the podcast way back in the early days when I mentioned this this film before where you know, you've seen cameras going round to people mm-hmm. who are fighting. This one does it over a vertical space. So How? it's going to loop as they're on a they're basically on a pole. Okay, they're on a pole. On yeah. A, yeah, and they're fighting over this drop and the camera's literally doing circles around them while they're fighting. It's, it's so cool. And this is low budge, you reckon? Relatively speaking, Relatively low, low budge, yeah. So oh. it, it's not highly critically loved because it's just basically a violent sword fighting film. But I expected nothing can came out going, that was awesome. Hmm. Okay. Lot, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. As a second film, nowhere near as good, but yeah, uh, this guy went on to direct um, Midnight Meat Train, I think, here in, in the States. Here in the States. Yeah. And that isn't a movie that sounds like you saw your name all over it. Uh, it's got a new one that's just come out called uh, The Price We Pay, which I haven't managed to see that one yet. And one of the other very, very low budget. His first film was a film from 2000 called Versus, which is like this weird sci fi zombie You've told crime film. You've me about film. that one. Yeah. yeah. Was that good? I really liked it. Again, it's very low budget. You gotta, you gotta go in knowing that mm-hmm, I don't, mm-hmm. it's not a film I'd recommend to you. Sure, because you'd just be like, "It fucking looked stupid, Paul," <laughs> and you wouldn't be wrong. It, it is, but I think yeah. it's storyline, and you can see the beginnings of what is a very entertaining filmmaker. Okay. There. So, and then Azumi is the next step in that direction. Nice. Okay. Good work. Uh, my number nine, a uh, bit of a classic here, but uh, I can tell you that I went to see this in 1988, asking my dad to take me because I was 14. Mm-hmm. And it's a movie that is spectacular, but I don't understand it even today. Akira. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I want to see it because I heard that it was the culmination of the best animators and artists in Japan. And apparently it took years and years and years. And in the 80s... looked amazing. You did look amazing. that first half now when they drive around, the streaking of their The streaking of, the, of their Yeah, tail because lights. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. Like, what was, what was that, whatever that's called, the tra- uh, trails or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, and it also, that was a stylistic choice, which I'm like... So this is okay to do. Like it became like that, and the scale of the of the sh- of the movie is such that I'd never seen it before. So, for example, Tetsu or whatever like becomes such a big monster that the actual he can't be controlled. So in this weird thing, the the, the general's like barking into his radio saying, "Try and control it," and he's like, "What is he talking about?" All of a sudden, these beams come from the sky to try and kill it. They're using satellites to kill this big thing. Right. I'm like, "Holy shit! That is a scale I've never seen before." Now it also gave rise to a very embarrassing moment. Oh, here we go. Where I'm sitting there with my dad last week. Yeah, because yeah, exactly. My dad's sitting there and he fell asleep through half of the thing, right? <laughs> Which is as the parents do. Yeah, yeah. But he woke up just in time to see a titty scene, an animated titty scene, and I didn't want to fucking be in that position where I'm seeing a titty scene with my dad next to me in a fucking titty. cartoon titty. It was, it's cartoon titty as well. Can't even. Ugh. Anyway, uh, not a fan of that. But other than that, the actual thing is a is. And did your dad give you a sideways look? Like mm-hmm. no, no. It was just tense. now I know you want to. It was tense film. for both of us. Right. I'm sure he wasn't happy about it okay. either, right? 
This is a neon-kissed world, which I had not, like, even Blade Runner and stuff like that, I'd never seen anything like this. And then I remember the, the poster was like, Tokyo is about to explode. And I was like, first time I was actually interested in something foreign, even though they dubbed it in English. Uh, but oh, for that, okay. Yeah, it is amazing. And yeah, rich world-building show. And it kicked off show. this whole... Sort of anime. I reckon it did. Thing, yeah. I reckon this is what then made we're all those things. Ghost in the Shell and Wicked Ghost in the City Shell was huge and, from and that. All these other ones as well. Legend of the Overfiend, if you like tentacle porn. And I do not. Well, <laughs> um, this one had, it was the first time I had seen. <laughs> wasn't directly addressing you there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but CGI in a cartoon, as far as I can remember, this is the first time I'd seen it. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So otherwise, it's all just like 2D animation, yep. but they mixed both, which is what made it cool, yeah. basically. It was definitely ahead of its time, even though I do not to this day understand how the fuck that film. I have no idea out. what happened in the fucking movie. So there you are. Understandable that that is your reaction. My number eight is a film you didn't like, Wayne. It completely blows my mind. It's in the lifetime of the podcast from 2018 from Indonesia. The night comes for us. Fucking yeah. love this movie. One of the best action films we've had the pleasure. I've had the pleasure of seeing in this iteration of, of our life. So the last, what is it, eight and a half years of the podcast. Me what this was about. Directed by Timo Chijanto, who is slated to direct the remake of a film which is okay, I'm gonna let everyone in the world know. I should have said this at the top of the episode. The remake of Train to Busan. Yes, I've heard of this. It's called Last I think it's called Train to New York or Last Train to New York, something like that. So American? It's gonna be American film. And they brought this guy in. I don't know where it's stalled, it stopped happening, but he was going to be the director of this remake because of his violent sensibility his films are all hugely violent and this film is absolutely no exception and it basically follows this guy who's a leader of this or this member of this huge organized crime gang you know high up within it and then comes across a point where he's got to kill his whole family and he can't bring himself to kill the girl and so it's a little bit that whole trope of i'm going to protect this girl and go against my former employers and he's played by joe taz uh, taslin I know this name. Taslin, I should say. Yeah. And the bad guy is Aiko Uwais. The main sort of bad guy who's coming to kill him because he's betrayed them, them all. And it's just a series of assassins that are sent against him and a few of his mates that he pulls together to try and save this girl. And it's just escalating what awesome violence scene. Uh, 2018. Oh, okay. So recent-ish. Yeah. yeah. Fantastically put together. And that's what this uh, Tijanto guy brings. His, his action sensibilities are second to none. When he directs an action scene, it's just incredible. Yeah. Problem is... And this film is deadly serious. His more recent film is called The Big Four. It's on Netflix right now. And it's just silly. It's over-the-top, schlocky silliness. And that's what I, I can't get behind. Uh, it loses me at that point. Even though every so often the film stops to be really hyper-violent, then stops to make a, you know, a silly slapstick custard pie joke, <laughs> which doesn't do it for me. Um, name again? The Night Comes For Us. The Night Comes For Us, yeah. Um, I think I, it was the action I had a problem with. I was sitting there going, <laughs> something's wrong with this. So anyway, look, I've only seen it once and I'll never see it again. So, uh, Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, my no, number- I was hoping oh. you were going to jump in there, Wayne, and say, oh, I watched Train to Bassan in the last 24 hours. Because I did say to you, watch Train to I Bassan. tried to, but I came home last night too late and oh. I was pretty fingered. So I really did want to, but I was just like, oh, I just didn't have time. Well, we got to top 10 properly. last day coming up next week, Wayne. Maybe you can... Maybe, I'll, swift, maybe yeah. I'll slip it in. Maybe I'll slip it in. By the way, Paul did discount. Yeah, so trying to Bassan's off my list because I talk about it all the time. You've yep. heard me. Of course, it would be my number one, 100%, but let's just move on past that one. Arguably, really? you can say my number one. I talk about that all the time as well, but anyway. Less so. Yes, yep. fair enough. Okay, well, my number eight is, is Infernal Affairs, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very lightly late shop off my list. It, so went, it, it went would be my 11 or 12 too. for me. Yeah, so this is the spiritual. Uh, well, this is basically what the Departed yeah, it's was the, based it's, on. It's Departed. Uh, call it the Departed Mark One. Mark One, exactly, and it is a thematically 
dense police thriller that is, uh, well, if you've seen The Departed, you know what it's about. Hong Kong, right? Hong Kong, though. Set in Hong Kong. And I think that the reason it's number eight on my list is that after seeing The Departed, everyone online is like, you got to see Infernal Affairs, man. Including me. I think I said that to you, too. Yes. Now, the internet would have you believe this is the true version of that, and it's better. It is not. Well, here's my take on it. You've got one of the world's inarguably greatest filmmakers, Martin Scorsese, sees a film, loves it, wants to adapt it for an American setting, and then adds his own bits and pieces. Because it's not a note-for-note replay. No, no, no. Different things happen, for sure. Yeah, different directions, different characters are added in, whatever else. How can that not be a better film? Yes. And that's the thing, though, right? Like, first of all, Marty was doing weird shit, and then, like, The Departed was like, oh, it's Marty again, because everyone loved The Departed. Everyone who saw it loved it, okay? Uh So, now... You know, you can't ask for the same thing here. But what's what's interesting? What was interesting to me is to see. Oh well, who's the who's the um, the Alec Baldwin character, uh, and who's the fucking Martin Sheen character, and who mm-hmm. you know, and you're seeing those and the types of things and how how, how each character meets their end because that's the whole point about this. The Departed was literally everyone dies, right? Almost <laughs> pretty much, right? But that's hence it's, this is different though <laughs> from memory. Yes, because there's an Infernal Affairs too, and yes. then a prologue Infernal Affairs three, which fucking sucks. I haven't seen any of the other ones. Two is great. Great, not as it? good, not as good as the first one, but very good. Yeah, number three sucks. Absolutely oh, really? fucking sucks. Yeah, and that's the thing. So this became a series, but obviously, yeah, the only the first one was sort of remade and sort of changed. But all of the all the decisions they made in the Departed were the right decisions, in my opinion, because I was freaked out when certain people just died. Also, holy yeah. shit, you know. So, uh, but you know, for this film here, still amazing in terms of you know what they started with. This was amazing. I thought so. Yeah, great film. Very nice. Nice choice. My number seven is, some people are going to be really annoyed that it's here and they'll say it's the Saving Private Ryan of Paul's top 10 Asian films list, but I just, I like this movie. I think it's fantastic. I don't think it's as good as the other films. I didn't enjoy it as much as the other films on this, let's put it that way. My number seven is Seven Samurai, directed, of course, by Akira Kurosawa. Kurosawa. Uh, It's set in 1586 and it's the quintessential trope of bringing together a group. This, This is the film that started it. Let's bring together a group of people to fight slash defend slash stand up for what's right and it's like three hours and 15 or three hours and 20 minutes long <laughs> it's incredibly long which if it were the purists will say you can't cut a frame out of this movie it's perfect as it is <sighs> i don't think so i think it really does take its time to get where it's going as do i but when it gets to where it's going it's magnificent i only ever saw this movie in color wow what yeah i didn't even col- know there was a color version the only reason i saw it is because on sbs one night they said they made it in color and there's a color version of it, right? And I, I had no it. idea. So when I uh, and and what kind of got to me was yes, the length. It's amazing in the in the groundbreaking ways that like you know the Magnificent Seven was based on this and stuff like that, right? Well, it creates the tropes, but it's also some of the way it's shot. And most of that, I don't say most. That's too strong a word. A lot of that's due to the black and white. I think it would lose so much with the color version. And that's why it's not even on my list because there's one scene in it which got me in color where the guy, there's the, the girl kneeling and he just whips out his sword and cuts her head off, right? And the, the effect that they do is they just throw like an entire bucket of paint on the wall in front of her. Mm-hmm. It's like, <gasps> like that, what the fuck? You know, and it just seems so garish. Garish, but also I was I was grossed out and offended. I was like, oh, it's already bad enough that you're killing a woman. I don't know. It, it's well, just it's meant to be disturbing. It is, but I I just went. I'm not having a good time in this film. Like I and also it took so long to get here, and I, I don't know, man. I, I'm just saying. I'm sure it's a masterpiece, but just one of those guys. It's not on my list. So, so obviously this is the classic, and that's why it's here. 
I understand. And you know, the use of telephoto lens and the cutting and the editing. I mean, it was all. I mean, this is only his second film from vague memory, and it's all the signs of a master yeah. film filmmaker sort of finding his feet, finding their feet, and that's why it's it's sort of here for me. Just the idea of feudal Japanese hitmen, I guess, coming together and saving a town is so cool. The yeah, idea well, that, of that most of them are, uh, what do you call it, Ronin, right? It, Ronin, that's right. Yep. Yes, sorry, not hitmen, Ronin. Yeah. But versus, versus then, so fast forward 50 years-ish, 55 years, and what's his name? Mickey. Ta- ta- Takashi Mike? Yeah, Takashi Mike. Basically remakes Seven Samurai and calls it 13 Assassins uh-huh. and makes it bloodier and more intense. And instead of there being seven, there's 13 of them, so as much more of them die. That's a really great film. And literally, it's an hour-long running battle, which I, from my memory, Seven Samurai is pretty close to that length through the battle between mm. the Ronin and, and the bandits. That film, if all you're looking for is the action component of this movie, 13 Assassins is, is more entertaining. Yeah. But... This is the classic. This is the reason why yep, this one's yep. here. I totally get it. I totally get it. Yes. No, I don't think anyone would uh, distribute that for... Okay, cool. Uh, my number seven is a film that I happened to con during the pandemic. And mm-hmm. it's called The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil. Right? Mm. It is a Korean film by director Won Tae Lee. And I don't know who he is. Get this, though. This would normally be a normal kind of very run-of-the-mill plot. But this director films it with such kind of... Ah, style, right? It's a cookie cutter story, probably, because what it is is that there's it's in South Korea and it's like it's cops versus the whatever the Korean mafia is, gangsters, right? They call them gangsters. In what era? Uh, so present day. Okay, so contemporary. Present day, yeah, contemporary. Yeah. So uh, how old is um, the film? What year? Ooh, 2019. Okay, 2019. So very new. All right. So um, there's this knife wielding serial killer who's in South Korea and he's committing random violent murders in the dead of the night and just running up and like prodding people with his car and then he fucking stabs them and that's that. The police force is like, what's going on here? We've got like these unsolved murders and stuff. And then this, this, this serial killer makes the mistake of taking on the big gangster, like the mob boss of Korea, who is actually the dude from Eternals. His name is Ma Dong-seok. He's the, the large Asian man in Eternals. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So what happens then is like the gangster, the, the mob boss survives the stabbing, right? And, you know, this guy gets away. And then the police, the main police dude, who's like a badass cop, like a violent cop, him and the gangster, mob gangster, join forces and go, look, we want to kill this guy, right? We want to get to him. And he says, "Whoever we'll share resources, but whoever gets to him first gets to do their own type of justice. So, policeman, if you get him first, you get to arrest him. If I get him first, I'm going to cut him into little pieces and show everyone. Because it's like, I'm the gangster and I can't be, like, stood down by okay. some guy. And it's the way it's filmed. It's beautiful. Overhead shots of cars driving at night. Things like that. Very, um... Kind of neony, kind of very like I, it's it's a surprisingly fun watch. Okay. Um, yeah, so give it a try. The gangster, the cop, the devil. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. I think the guy you just mentioned there might be in Train to Bazaar. Big big bloke. Yeah, big guy. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. Okay, nice. My number six is a film which will be on just about everyone's list as you did a top ten, given it broke through and it won the Academy Award, the first foreign film to do so, Parasite. Yeah. Not on my list, but oh. I know you love it. I know you love it. I, was, I mean, I love the strong word. I think I really greatly appreciated it. It's a rare Academy Award winning film, although we've, I guess we've had a couple now in the last few years, along with everything, everywhere, all at once, that I legitimately like. Yeah. I mean, the, well, so you, the you best, brought it to my attention. The best picture winner. And it's hard to describe what this one is. So, another film out of South Korea, directed by Bong Joon Ho. And it's sort of a film about class in terms of, you know, class differences. Yes, and, big time. That's the whole theme. And gradually this 
group of or this family of people who are very low class in terms of socioeconomically, don't have a lot of money, ingratiate their way into this very rich family's life. And then there's this huge mid-film kind of twist which throws everything on its head. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen this movie. And it goes from there. And it goes in a in a way that I would only describe as being highly unpredictable and very impactful. And also weird at the end, Paul. Whatever happened at the end, I'm like, what? What? I mean, and you can explain it away and go, well, the reason that happened is because of essentially still class wars and being angry about class wars and things like that. But um, it threw me off. And I was like, mm. it's, a, it's, a great, uh, it's a great drama. Uh, it's a good story. The performances are excellent. Yeah, it's mostly drama. There's some comedic elements in there, and then it sort of becomes a thriller in places too. So yeah, a bit, a bit. So, um, but I remember just the end rocking me and kind of rubbing me the wrong way, and that's why it's not on my list. But I understand it was it won an Academy Award. I'm sure this has its merits. So for sure. Yeah, my number six, Parasite. Nice one. And my number six, everyone, is freaking R R R. That's right. <laughs> Paul didn't like come throw in with this one, but. You are not alone. Lots of people love the fuck out of this Bro, it's an Indian film. For anyone who hasn't seen it or haven't heard of it, straight up bonkers. The third most expensive Indian film ever made. And it's a supposedly somewhat remotely accurate retelling, I doubt it, of <laughs> the story of these two dudes who actually live... I guarantee you it's not accurate. <laughs> I guarantee you it's not as well. I don't see the count anywhere. But it's, it's set in the 1920s as per you know the, the, uh, the Indian rebellion against the British rule and the British occupation back then. Um, the British, you know, the Punisher is the bad guy, uh, Ray Stevenson. <laughs> Rest um, in peace. Rest in peace. Mm. And it's a three-hour-long thing. I can't believe I sat through the whole three hours... But I did because it was amazing, except for the singing part that Paul doesn't like. Um, but it's a magical, surrealist film, also a martial arts film, also an action movie, also a Bond of Brothers kind of film. It's almost in every single lane, this film, right? Even Bollywood, there's a dancing scene. But it's not terrible, I will tell yes, you that. I think it's not bad, it's not bad. I say watch the movie because it's fantastic and it's hard to explain. But And obviously the CGI is the shitty sort of Indian CGI, right? But bugger me if it doesn't add to the charm. All right? <laughs> like I'm like, oh my god, look at all those tigers jumping out of the pocket. You know, it's just, oh, look at this shit. So, I mean, I... Maybe the, the, maybe the that, Flash should have shopped out their CGI to India. Honestly, pretty would have worked out a bit better. <laughs> but like, I, um, I, I think that what made it cool was the, the, the two leads become genuine friends and they really love each other. But they don't. The whole time they don't know they're supposed to be hunting each other down because they don't know who they really are, and that's what makes it more than just some weird Bollywood film. Um, so yeah, very quite a few impressive shots. Definitely not a cheap film. Yeah, the ending of it is spectacular. So I actually totally recommend. It. If you haven't seen this, you got to see it. All right. My, <laughs> I know people love it, so I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. Yeah, for me, it's a middling film at best because I can't get past the the things that you just overlooked that said. Because it's great, I'm on board with it. My number six is, I think, one of the... I've talked about it once or twice before in the life of the podcast. And I think it's one of the most underseen and... Not underrated, because people who have seen it love it. It's called Eastern Condors, and it's directed by Samu Hung. Oh. And it's a basically men-on-a-mission film. So Samu Hung did this? Yep. Eastern Con- I remember this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunch of prisoners. It's basically the Dirty Dozen Yep. from the Chinese perspective. So they are... They're in the US and they're sent on a covert mission with the promise of a pardon, going to Vietnam and destroy a depot of missiles that are there that the US left behind when they pulled out of Vietnam. Mm. And if you do that, you'll be pardoned for your crimes. Oh, okay. And so, you know, however many there are. <laughs> what? Okay. I'll tell you this one bit early on in the film. So Go there's on. a guy who's who's got a stutter and you know, they, they set all this up and he's one of the one of the group. And so 
they tell everyone, okay, when you get to this point, you have to parachute out and jump, you count to three, and then you pull yeah. the cord. Yeah. Anyway, he's the first to die because <laughs> when they find him, he's you know broken into pieces, oh. and he's going. Oh. <laughs> That's this film. Yeah. You know what? This is martial arts film. This is kung fu fighting. So there's martial arts, there's gunplay. The finale of this film is like different, the main different characters screwing off in in huge fights. The only letdown of this entire movie really is that they don't sort of build up the bad guys enough to hate them quite enough. But otherwise, this film is spectacular. It's awesome and everyone should see it. Sama Hung is the Jackie Chan school of things, so you're always going to get gags in there. Yeah. Jackie Chan doesn't not do it without a gag, so and I understand why too. So, very cool. All right, my number five, ladies and gentlemen. Um, an ex-girlfriend of mine once put together a DVD box set of Asian cinema for me and consulted with Paul on which DVDs yeah. that's how well ago to get. And this was the one that she said, you got to watch this one first. And it was Sonatine. Mm. So, this rings a bell. <laughs> Have I seen it? You must have. 1993 film, and it's a, it technically is a Yakuza film, but it's a very different take on a Yakuza film. Because what happens is, these gangsters basically set upon to go, they put, they lured into a trap, the, uh, these Yakuza beat, guys. Beat Takashi? Beat Takashi. Yeah, right? Takashi, sorry. Yeah, which by the way, I think is the coolest name for anyone ever. Beat Takashi is the best fucking name for anyone. That sounds cool, it's perfect. It's really, it's really great unless your name's Takashi. <laughs> well, his name is Takashi Kitano, but he calls himself Beat Takashi, and yeah. I think it's fucking great. So anyway, I don't know why, I just love that. Beat Takashi, oh fuck. Ooh, beat, ah. no, but it's like Beat, his name is Beat, oh shit. You know, it's like Jack, anyway. Um, so... Uh, what happens is though these these um, gangsters or yakuza guys they're two different warring factions and they go in, they walk into a trap because their bosses want they secretly want to basically merge the clans they survive this massive shootout thing and they all fuck off to the beach to hide out until the the, the shit comes you know kind of blows well, over. over and from there these guys are on the beach playing around with each other playing these oddly weird games with each other where they're like they're fooling around but they're shooting cans off each other's heads and playing <laughs> Russian roulette it's, it's very very odd and very very weird it's a ruminative bleakly funny Yakuza flick and um, obviously from Japan yeah Okinawa Be- Beat yeah. Takashi yep yeah so um, much of it is like and Beat Takashi actually stars in it so and, and directs it and directs it yeah. he's like a age, he's like a middle aged Yakuza boss kind of thing and this is a particularly Quentin Tarantino loves this film. In fact, he's the one who who um, who distributed it in America. He right. actually went far to that, and he was saying that the, the reason that it's 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 got a bit of love story going on and stuff like that in there. But it is a uh, uh, if you watch it, it just doesn't play like a yakuza flick. You're watching sort of a bro. Very flick. high on your list. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's it's number five, right? Yeah, number five. But it's it's uh, because it's so different and so unexpected. It's very easy to watch somehow. So, yeah, give it a try. Sonatine. Okay, I might have said Eastern Condors is my number six. I mean, number five. My number four is what I expect to pop up on your list, Wayne. It is also from director Park Chan-wook. It's old boy. I just scrubbed it off because oh. I accidentally I accidentally listed 11. So- <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Wayne literally going 110% for you people on this list. It would be on there. But t- you know, tell me what you think of old boy because I've got a few. I've got, I've got, I've got a story about old boy. Tell me, tell me. It's the middle film in his trilogy regarding revenge and I think this is the film that maybe kicked off the interest in Korean cinema which culminates 16 years later in Parasite winning an Academy Award. Like before this, name in a Korean film that you'd heard of or even see. Can't do it now. So I think <laughs> Old Boy might be my first 
Korean foray into Korean cinema, which has struck up a, a bit of a love affair over the subsequent twenty years since this film came out. And it basically follow. It's based on a, a Japanese manga, and it follows on a guy who's just a, a typical family man, and then for some reason is is abducted. He's forced to say, live in the same room for 15 years. He's fed and the like, but he can't leave that room. And basically he goes half insane, but in the process decides he's going to take revenge on whoever's putting there. And so but the, then the weird thing is... He gets let out. He just gets let out for no reason. What the fuck's going on? And then there's he goes on a quest to find whoever's putting there. It contains one of the greatest action sequences seemingly out of nowhere. The hallway fight, yep. The hallway fight, which is sort of shown from the side. Side scrolling. Scrolling, almost like it's a game. Very much so. And, and that's the best thing about it. And then culminates in one of the King Dick kind of pull the rug out from under you, kick you in the balls, endings ever. Yeah. That really is quite disturbing. For some strange reason, Spike Lee and, and America decided to remake this movie. With Thanos, right? Ten years later with Josh Brolin yeah. in the same role. And it just doesn't... It's just a... a well, they tried a stairway fight. Yeah. There. Which, yeah. look, it was... Like, I see the reason to do the it's different... It's just ill-advised. Ver- it's just ill-advised. <laughs> just because you, all you're really doing is changing up some of the perspective, but still keeping all the same beats. I can't remember if it ends the same way. It might be slightly different. I hope not, memory. because I think the way that this one ended was... V- look... Here's the thing about Old Boy for me, right? I was told, much like yourself, dude, you got to watch this film mm-hmm. because these things happen and at the end it will fuck you up for life is what it told me. It's not quite that. And also, I find myself... It's probably because I'm stupid, Fucked right? up for life. I mean, what film fucks you up for life? That um, that Jake Gyllenhaal film with the big spider at the end apparently <laughs> fucked people up for life. I've heard that. I've heard that happen. What's that called? Enemy. Yes. Yeah. But this one here, when when the reveal happened... I didn't understand it. I was like, he's flipping through a book. I don't, what's, what? And then someone said, no, that, and they told me, what well, I won't spoil it. I went, oh, but I didn't get that from the film. Someone had to tell it to me. So it lost a bit of the effect. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. This one, the, not this always is a good sign of a good film, but this one, the uh, grand prize of the jury at the Cannes Film Festival. And he has one. Typically a good, awards. like, you know, indicator. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And also with the tongue, I don't understand what that was about either at the end. I'm like, is that, why do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Anywho. Uh, but yes, look, I understand. It's still a good film. It's still a great film. Number four for me, old boy. Nice one. My number four is a not chop socky violent film. Ooh. It is, in fact, the In the Mood for Love. Yeah, look, this is probably the least me film is on my honorable mentions list. Okay. Now, if you... Yeah, what's his name? Tony Leung? Tony Leung? Yeah. Yeah, Tony Leung. He is... The guy with the eyes. And that's what they all say when he's in Shang-Chi and stuff. This guy can act an entire fucking monologue with just his eyes. And if you watch this film, you'll see why. This director, Wong Kar Wai, he's doing things in this film that I've actually never seen in any other films. For example, the first 12 minutes of this film, every shot is a frame within a frame. It's always looking down a corridor, but there's also a mirror. And then in the mirror is another square. And it's like that kind of shit that he's doing. And he's doing that on purpose to show you the convention of this 1960s kind of China where you can't have gossip happening about you. The actual film was about this Tony Leung and um, Mrs. Chan is what she's called. Maggie Chung, (laughs) right? Um, And they uh, both live in this kind of complex, this, this apartment complex. And they find out through some means that they're their significant others are cheating on them with each other and that uh, causes them to have this really like interesting like kind of romantic bond but they never fuck Mm. and it's kind of like bitch please (laughs) (laughs) well that's what's beautiful about the film there's two things that are beautiful first that it's just exploring kind of 
you know, this unrequited thing. And yeah. it's such a beautiful way, I right? Know, and it probably makes it all the more powerful and memorable for that. But geez, this film is a case of blue balls waiting to happen. It is. And that's why... But here's the, 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 the way they say, incue your blue ball wrath, is by making basically one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Mm. And I'll tell you something. It is, it's, it's gorgeously shot. This film is... The colours are... The colours, yeah. the, the framing, everything about it is amazing. And because it's in the 60s, everyone's dressed really well. And... <laughs> That's the thing. It's actually about it's about clothes. This movie is about clothes. There's the actual the everything goes. Oh, is it little wonder it's not at number Wayne number <laughs> one. Sorry. Well, do you know that they made fifty chong sounds for for the female lead and only used thirty of them. And wow. if you look at the dresses she wears, they are beautiful. And they're not that garish like gold and green ones like Kristen Dunst wears. They're actually like sixties versions of them. Fucking beautiful. But yeah, if you're looking for some blue balls in the best possible way, if you can imagine such a thing, <laughs> in the mood for love is is amazing as cinematically. Very nice, very nice. My number three, we're going back to Japan. Alrighty. We're going back to Beat Takashi. What up, Beat? He didn't direct this one, but he did star in it. I am talking about 2000's Battle Royale. I've never seen Battle Directed Royale. Directed by Kinji Fukasaku. I like this film so much, I went and found the original book on which it was based. Really? I'm not even sure if that book was based off a manga and adapted from that. or So you read The Hunger Games? <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well said, Suzanne Collins, you fucking hack. But anyway, yeah, this film follows a, according to whatever act, the Battle Royale Act, I think it is, the Japanese government effectively takes a bunch of high school students every year. I'm still not quite sure the rationale of this because, you know, the kids are out of control. Is it to cut down numbers? No, because they only do this sort of, and they televise this shit. So it's just one class per year. So you're meant to live in fear because otherwise we'll pick your class. I think that's the rationale. So keep them in line. Yeah. So they take this class, they dump them in the middle of this island and basically say, you will all now kill each other and the last one of you standing will get to live, but otherwise we'll, we'll murder you all. And so one kid says, not going to do it, not going to do it. And Beat Takashi is the, the teacher, mm-hmm. pulls out a gun and shoots the kid in the Boom. head. Boom. Really? And the film goes from there. So we've got somewhere in the order of 40 or maybe it's 50 students and every kill, every one of them that dies, it has a little graphic pop up. Like, number two, do. Really? Number three, burr. That's cool. Whatever it, actually, not the number of deaths, it's their number that they're assigned. Okay. And I think this film did a fantastic job of adapting the original material because it's entertaining. It's, I mean, it's gross and it's scary and it's frightening because these are effectively kids. That, I mean, it says a ninth grade class, which would be like 14-year-olds. They're way older than 14, yeah, all, all these yeah. actors. So I don't know if ninth grade in, in Japan is more like year 12 here. They look like they're 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah, like, well, you got to do that, man. Yeah, like, otherwise but, it's too fucking disturbing. Yeah, kids killing each other. Like yeah. George R. R. Martin novel. Fucking no, it was Absolutely. Age them up four or five Age years. them up, please. So, but yeah, you really get invested and there's you know some kids who embrace the horror real fast and just go, fuck this, I'm going to kill everyone and be a villain. And there's other kids who are, you know, I like this girl, I need to protect her at all costs. And then there's other kids who are hiding, trying to avoid the worst of this and sort of showing how people might react under the most extreme of circumstances. So, And did you like the book or the show better? The, the movie. Yeah. I did, yeah. Sure. The book's good. The adaptation, I've, I think it's an adaptation of, of the manga, I don't know, but I okay. own it. Okay. But the movie is phenomenal, hence why it's my number three on my top ten Asian films list. And you should see this one. Maybe another bit of homework, maybe ahead of the top ten last year next week, Wayne. Well, I have a few white people films to, to watch, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Battle Royale. <laughs> Just quietly, I've seen your score on Ghosted, and that is fucking tripe, that movie. <laughs> so you can do better than that. Wait, is it? Oh, yeah, there's Ghosted. Yeah, yeah. What the? Oh, look, we'll talk, yeah. we'll talk next week. Yeah. Okay, nice. Uh, my number three. Uh, when, uh, when Paul and I were mere scamps, mere lads, I'm going to guess around 18. 
we went to see what was then known as a Ching Chong film. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm Asian. It's fine, everyone. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> the views of Wainaruku <laughs> do not reflect so Paul Pazula or the Countdown movie. And also the Countdown podcast. Or discerning white people everywhere. Yes. Um, uh, but it was, to be clear, this was not, even though it played in a mainstream cinema, it was not, uh, it was not well known. No one knew what was going on. I just went with them to have a look at it. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And before anyone, before any Oscar buzz, before anyone even knew about it, I'm just sitting there going... This is the film that brought Chinese cinema to... Most definitely. Um, And it was friggin'... Starring, of course, international action star, Chow Yun-Fat. And... Directed by fucking the Hulk guy, John, uh, Ang Lee. Yep. Right? So, Life of Pi guy. Life of Pi. I mean, this guy's great. And actually, this is but what also, I love. What was that piece of shit film, Gemini Man? <laughs> oh, man, that blew, didn't it? <laughs> Woo! That was even when Will Smith was still popular. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> anyway, this one has also. PSW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Michelle Yeoh's in it as well. And again, we hadn't known her then as much. I think after that, she was in the Bond film, then I recognized her, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But. You know, it was indie, and the great thing about this film is that it's, well, it's set in the 19th century in the Qing, Qing Dynasty, China. A warrior, Chao Yan Fat, gives his sword, the Green Destiny, to no, his. No, no, no. Sorry. A International warrior, action, action hero. star. Star. Hero. I'm sure it's star. I'm saying we did hero. this. We went to replacement killers. We looked at the trailer, <laughs> but we'll need to do it again. International star. Oh, fuck, we're doing it. That now. does make sense. We're doing it now. What did you get me into? You two make a cute couple. International action star Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, you're right, you're right. It is star, it is star. All right, good. So now we've established this again. Fine. We've done this before. (laughs) Please continue. Well, that guy (laughs) gave uh, Green Destiny this sword to his lover, Michelle Yeoh, and to deliver for safekeeping, but it gets stolen, and then the chase gets on to find it, and the search leads to the House of You, which is where the story takes on a whole different level. Again, What's cool about this film is that it's first and foremost a movie about love, which I wasn't expecting. Mm. Secondly, it's a couple a, of great fight scenes. Oh, too. well, this is the wuxia shit, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are wire work fly, flying through the, the air, which yep. I'd never. Well, I'd seen I it in like some, in the cinema. Yep. Yeah, and it was like, what the hell? And then because, but because the execution was so good, I chose not to in the moment ask why they were flying, and it made it also good. And then this movie is secondly about the desire to be free. From like the constraints that keep you from being who you want to be and that type of thing. And for like me, flying. To, yes, I mean if you can fly, fuck everyone. But the right? point is that when no one else reacts to it strangely, then therefore you buy into it. Which is which means that Ang Lee is kind of the shit with regard to he's Christopher Nolan you Nolaning you. Where it's like, <laughs> like this is he ridiculous, was, but you're like Christopher it. Nolan before Christopher Nolan. Exactly, existed. he was Christopher Lee. Do I don't know. know. <laughs> Not that they need our plug. But you know who fucking hate Christopher Nolan? Who? The Auntie Donna people. Why? <laughs> they hate him. They just shit all like every podcast, one of them will mention Christopher Nolan. They'll be like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they start giving him shit like you know, the, the unnecessary over the top exposition in the third act. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I have a love hate with Christopher Nolan too because of Tenet. So, you know, what are you going to do? But anyway. I'm all in for Oppenheimer. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so am I. You heard the whole story about how, how Tom Cruise is chucking his shit because he can't get enough IMAX releases for Mission 7 because they've all given those spots to Christopher Nolan? Because it's a week out a week later. Yeah, and so he only gets one week of exposure in IMAX, so now he's actually going to... I would care a lot more if we had fucking IMAX cinemas here. <laughs> yeah, there's fucking two in Australia. And one in Melbourne none, and one in Sydney in and fuck all here. Yeah. And so, you know, anyway, sorry. Uh, slight vent there. Yeah, sorry, back but- to you. <laughs> 
But yes, again, movie amazingly beautiful. Uh, I think it's the first time we saw that Zhang Ji lady, the, the girl. She's beautiful. Who's who, yes. Uh, again, I think this was the first time I'm like, I don't mind that this is a love story mm. because they peppered it with motherfuckers flying yeah. in sword fights. And it was cool. It's pretty, it's pretty simple, you know, romantic filmmakers out there. Put a few fights in there somehow. Exactly. Mixed and that genres. Will in, that will bring in, unfortunately, the traditional male audience. Yeah. You want fucking. Traditional. Yes. You want dumbasses like myself buying in on you because that is known as, you know, cross marketing. That's a sweeping generalization, but, uh, you know. Yeah. This is why if you ever go to a concert, I went to a police concert, right? And the opening act was fucking Fergie. And you think to yourself, why would they make Fergie open a police concert? You know, wouldn't they choose some other artist that's in there? No. The point about putting someone that isn't normally in the wheelhouse of the audience right, in front so of them. Cross-pollinate. Right. So they get a bigger audience overall and that's what happens. So again, that's <laughs> a lot to do with music and not this. But. I think anyone who's seen this film and really appreciated it, again, when you had no expectations, it yeah, became sure. even better than when it was Oscar nominated. So I love me some Crouching Tiger Hidden Ass. All right. <laughs> Good. My number two. <laughs> Nothing else to add. 429 episodes in, and all I can offer now, Dwayne's bullshit like, is. Okay. Good. Uh, my number two. You're not going to believe this, Wayne. It stars international action, action star Chow Yun Fat. It's hard boiled, hard boiled by John Woo. Late scratch. Oh, because for fuck's sake, it's boy. because I actually wrote twelve down. Not <laughs> <laughs> I'm noticing a trend of bullshit to your excuses. Look at my motherfucking um, honorable mentions. Hundred and twenty percent Wayne puts into this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, yeah, yeah, I'm putting a shitload in there, and like because I, I I called the list right before you turned up, I obviously fucked it up. You can decide whether or not Wayne should be rewarded or penalised for the fact he can't fucking count. I think you'll find I'm giving you more. Than, no, than, than the free place you paid. <laughs> More bang for your zero bucks. Exactly. Unless you're a patron, in which case, thank you so, so much for your support <laughs> of the show. Uh, this is, I don't know how to describe this film. It's not the first of these films. I think The Killer came before, I think A Better Tomorrow, maybe even A Better Tomorrow 2 came before this one. But this is the film where I <laughs> cotton on to the John Woo train. This is the film where I got to see arguably... The film which, for me, and okay, so again, there's an argument to say all these films did this in conjunction together, but this changed action cinema. This is... It absolutely did. Ballet, gunfights, like, but choreographed in a way where they're moving, almost like martial arts, almost like Gun Carter, if you want to fast forward to Kurt Wimmer's what, Equilibrium. Absolutely. So I was watching the uh, the hospital shootout, oh, right? What Before this, right? Because what it is, the camera is following these two guys around. It's Chayon Fat, sorry. International, International action star, star Chow Young Fat. And another guy. Uh, right? Tony Lung. <laughs> is it Tony Lung? I think yeah, it is Tony Lung. Yeah, okay, wicked. Okay, forgot that. Uh, and they're sort of they're going in to inflate, infiltrate this hospital full of motherfuckers with guns, right? But the camera follows them around corners and stuff. So it's all mostly a one shot. Yeah. Even when they get in the lift and they talk and then it opens up again. But they're just blowing motherfuckers away and crisscrossing in front of each other. People are jumping through windows. They're blown. Chow Yun Fats. Sorry. International <laughs> action star Chow Yun Fat. That guy's shotgun <laughs> has like <laughs> has like explosives in it. Because when he shoots someone down a hole, that motherfucker explodes. <laughs> Like, it ain't no this film, thing. I'm sure, was the basis of Action Half Life. Oh, it definitely game. was. Which was the which was the game we used to play. A mod, a mod of Half Life, Half-Life, where you yeah. would yeah, you press a button, just dive through a window, and, and more importantly, you had, you had guns. twin gold guns, yeah. which was fucking the shit, right? So, uh, I you know what? I think I should just make this my number two, which is what I should have done. <laughs> but, <laughs> Tell us what got, got scrubbed there in a moment. Okay, uh, maybe we could do it that way. But yeah, what what a film! Like just 
unbelievable. Can I? I'll give a little bit of a plug here to a, a good friend of the show and and a podcasting gentleman, a, a friend of mine, Jason from Binge Movies. They just did a John Woo retrospective. Oh, nice. Just there, and then they talk. Don't know if Hardboiled does it. Yeah, Hardboiled's one of the five films, but they're all his sort of Chinese Hong Kong yeah, cinema yeah, yeah. Um, films, and so. Go and listen to that because they break it down. And I can't remember the name of the guest, Carlos. I think from he had on from another show. Do a wonderful job breaking it down and really talking about these films. And yeah, Hardboiled is is stellar. You know why John Woo's the shit, right? It's because he was. We we had this discussion years ago, but like his heroes are never just a hero. They're always some sort of sort of scarred hero. Well, There's some element to them where they're a little bit of a bad guy. With or, full credit to Jason and he and his co-host yeah. that day. This is the first film where he backs away from the gangsters being heroic sort of types, even though they usually become undone by the end of the film, say The Killer and, and A Better Tomorrow. This is the first time it's two cops. Yeah. So, oh, is it the first and time? And he said, John Woo said that, I wanted to do what I've been doing for the gangsters and try and I wanted to promote the cops. For the policeman, yes. yes. So, is this the one? So this one's, one's undercover, one's a proper cop. Yes. And this one's the babies in this one? Yes. This yeah. Is the, yeah. Literally, the, you look at the poster, it's, Chow, it's international action star Chow Young Fat yes. holding a baby and That's a shotgun. Right. And the shotgun that, that, that fires those bullets you just talked about. Yes. Not just Dragon's Breath. I don't know what they are. <laughs> They're fucking amazing. Um, but like the, just to see that kind of, that level of violence, right? It's like the it's like the Wild Bunch, but the whole movie is the end of the Wild Bunch. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure you if you were there or not, but I remember watching this film and hiring it. I remember being at my place and having a bunch of you guys around. I am sure I was there and I'm sure that's where I saw it. And I remember, you know, on a, on a tiny little fucking TV and, you know, video, VHS and putting it and us just being stunned. Yeah. None of us said a word. Like, like, what, what the, the fuck? fuck? How is this, how is this not like across all our radars, even at probably we're 18 or 19 years of age at that point in time. Amazing. And also like, um, I would buy this shit in a heartbeat on 4k hint, hint. They would have to do a lot of work to get this Probably. to 4K. Right? But like, it's, yeah, it's, look, if they shot it on film, they could do it right easily, but which I'm sure they did. Yeah, they did. There's, yeah. there's nothing. This was Back well then, before DVR. Yeah, yeah, 1992. Okay. Hard, basically, the story is cop and uh, an undercover guy come together to d- defeat a bunch of gangsters. That's, it's pretty simple and straightforward, but it is amazing two hours of action. So Hardboiled is my number two. Cool. And officially, it's my number two, but I'll also tell you that my actual number two, which I just dropped down, left in here. <laughs> <laughs> I want this stricken from the record. <laughs> okay, fine. Strict this from the record. I'm just giving you more bang for your buck. Go on. Uh, it's actually a movie Paul made me watch. It's called The Chaser. Uh, oh, okay. I liked it. I didn't love this one. You know what it was? I, I didn't this? make you watch this. One of our patrons did back when we were doing that. Ah, yes. Well, yes. I watched it for the show. Um, it's a Korean movie about a disgraced police detective who's turned into a pimp. And he becomes involved in this breathless race against time to catch this psycho killer who's going after one of his girls goes missing. Oh, one of his girls. And he's got 12 hours to find evidence against the killer because he's actually been caught, yada, yada, yada. The thing about this film is the first time, when I looked at it, I'm like, you know what's weird about, what's different about Korean films is that they will, there's such a kind of cruelty in yes. terms of the audience. That's a good way of putting it. Where the, you know, the cops will be right outside the house where the killer is and they're looking for him and there's a girl in there and the killer's, you know, they think, oh, they're going to break it in time because the killer's about to kill this girl in there. Ah. Nope. And it just happens. Oh, shit. And they, they just don't give you the moment that you want. That you Do you know want. What, how it would have worked out? Had they been clever enough to hire international action, action star, star Chow Yun-Fat. He would have fucked <laughs> that killer up, man. Maybe no chaser. They'd be like the keeper. Fuck, done. But yes. Um, Short 10-minute film. Exactly. Look, I will say this. The movie, like every Korean film, is too long. Other than that, brilliant. So, I mean, yeah, this gonna, shit is brutal. I'm going to shout out a film which it didn't even make my honorable mentions because I don't remember it well enough, but I my 
biggest memory of it is it's brutal and it's harrowing, but it's way too fucking long. I saw the devil. So I think you mentioned this before. Very Again, similar, very similar kind of film to the chase. If we just tell these Korean folks, maybe hire three editors, <laughs> <laughs> get them all to work at the same time, that kind of thing. Yep. All right, let's read back through my list then very quickly. My number ten, The Handmaid. Nine, Azumi. Eight, The Night Comes for Us. Seven, appropriately enough, I just realised. Seven, <laughs> Samurai. Six, Parasite. Five, Eastern Condors. Four, Old Boy. Battle Royale. Number three, International Action Star, <laughs> starring Chow Yan Pat. Hard boiled at number two. And my number one, again, talk about it too much, but I couldn't leave this one off because I haven't shouted out enough Indonesian films. I'm talking about Subuan Mort, a.k.a. The Raid. Thank you. Directed by Welshman Gareth Evans. One ruthless climb lord, 20 elite cops, 30 floors of hell. That's my number one too. Yeah. Because you know why? There isn't anything more fun to watch in Asian cinema than this movie. There's just no way. I don't understand if you're an action film fan. How A, you haven't seen this movie yet, and B, if you have, how you do not love it. It is light on plot, yes. It's light on character development, yes. You're not there for those two things. If I want to judge a film for being a comedy and it's light on action, that's fucking stupid. It's not the way it works. No, this is unapologetically an action film from literally the fucking first scene almost, right? Mm. And If it's a period fucking drama with Anthony Hopkins and, I don't know, Emma Thompson, and it doesn't have massive fight scenes. I don't mark it down for that. I just don't watch it, or I don't like it as much. But I don't mark it down. So when people go, oh, it's a bit shit on character development, fuck you, that's not what you're there for. <laughs> Paul ragging on Remains of the Day and other people. So, <laughs> um, you know what, though? Because it's an Indonesian film, the actual martial arts style in here is Penchat Silat, right? Which is the... <laughs> Good, I'm glad you could add some technical. It's just, it's a very... Uh, you don't see this in movies, okay? Because it's almost like a dance, that type of, like, if you ever watch a tournament, it's like that. But more than that, like, just even the trailer when we were watching it, like, the one where the guy's there and he smashes his head against the wall. Bang, 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 bang all the way down, knees, but knees, it's knees. Just, Gareth Evans has, has this incredible eye for, for action. Yes. And the way he moves the camera whilst allowing, and we need to probably acknowledge the fact that the standards in Indonesian cinema for taking care of their talent probably aren't as high as they are in... It's about as good as Hong Kong cinema back in Jackie Chan. <laughs> yes. We're jumping Jackie off buildings Chan, and right. they didn't get a permit. I can only imagine how many broken bones and busted whatevers there were making this movie because it's brutal. And I don't... It's, and that doesn't seem to flinch away. They don't cut. No. And the, the, the angles there, you can see the punches. Oh, people caught. Yes. Definitely. No question. And his, his cinematography, though, is like... It sort of weaves between the fights instead of cutting around the fights, yes. which is what makes... And you can see everything that's happening. You know exactly that's, where it's happening. That is that's the why modern sensibility. And, and this is 2011, this movie. I firmly believe The Raid is the reason we have the John Wick style of filmmaking now. Would agree. Where it's long takes of people... It's not cut, 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 cut. It's not Liam Neeson jumping a fucking fence in five <laughs> shots. <laughs> When did that happen? Taken three. Is it like that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Not Peter Berg directing Mark Wahlberg throwing a punch against fucking Ico Oase himself, who is the star of this movie. Or any shot of Steven Seagal running after oh, like 1991. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's funny you mentioned Steven Seagal. Funny you mentioned Wayne. Uh, should, this is a good point. Is this a good point while we talk about our shared number one? Sure. To mention that uh, future guest on the show, mm -hmm. Steven Seagal. That's right, people. It's happening. He's responded. He wants to find out what's going on. So... So I've decided that, uh, well, we've decided yep. that I'll be interviewing him. Yep, Wayne's going to interview I'm not. I can't be there. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but stay tuned for yeah, that one, tuned, folks. Stay tuned. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. 
<laughs> Mano and Manu. <laughs> Wayne Aruzu introduced Steven Seagal uh-huh. and calls him out for being the fat cunt that he is. <laughs> it's actually the name of the interview. <laughs> so sorry, uh, I can't be there for that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so back to the raid. The raid is probably. Probably right there with John Wick for me as the best action films. It's better than fucking John Wick, oh, man. Damn, Come on, la. Damn, <laughs> damn. Yes, uh, the, it's it's the glistening nutsack, ladies and gentlemen. It absolutely is. That's my that's my number one. All it's right, one of the greatest films ever made, as far as I'm concerned. It, it absolutely nails what it's aiming for, and it's not just punch fights. It there's gunfire, there's gunfights, there's the mixture of the two. There's you Knives. know one bad guy versus two good guys. Something you almost never see. Almost never see. And yeah, that's true. Normally yeah. two bad guys, it's one good guy because the odds are in there. But that's how bad it's awesome. And he's also the fight, he's like... also the fight choreographer on on this film. So Ah, yeah. The only other remember Lethal Weapon 4, where the two where, where Riggs and Murto are against like Jet Lee. That's that's a two goodies versus one baddie. Mm-hmm. Then you got uh Mission Impossible Fallout, where Tom Cruise and fucking Superman against the one guy in the bathroom scene. Those are the only few. No, like, he, he wades in late, doesn't he, to sort of save Tom Cruise? Not like it's. Well, Rebecca Ferguson saves Tom Cruise. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, Yan Ruin, Mad Dog, is the uh, fight choreographer on the raid. Nice. Okay, there we are. That's Alice. Uh, we'll very quickly, Wayne, run down your sure. honorable mentions. Well, actually. Well, apparently, you had, you've already, we've already heard two of them. <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to tell you my 10 to 1, though? Oh, should we do that? that. Sorry, go, please, please. 10, Curse of the Golden... the Troy spinners of the world. (laughs) Yes, Troy. 10, Curse of the Golden Flower. Uh, 9, Akira. 8, Infernal Affairs. 7, The Gangster, the Cop, the Devil. 6, RRR. 5, Sonatine. 4, In the Mood for Love. 3... Where is it, cunt? Ah, Cushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, having to scroll around his list. (laughs) And 2 is The Chaser, and 1 being The Raid. Uh, Honorable Mentions... Shit. Your name, I thought about putting in there yeah, for fun. You gorgeous. Know? Gorgeous looking film. Uh, Ong Bak, I thought that was really good, but you know, it's, it's more like a video game than it is a movie, which I quite liked. Mm-hmm. And there was an odd movie called OTJ, which stands for On the Job, which actually is- Of course a, it does. Yeah, I know. It sounds like a, a sex joke that I would yeah. make, but it's not. It's actually a not bad sort of um, Asian cinema. I don't know quite- what, what, what is it? What is it? I don't know what kind of Asian cinema it is. It's- um, All right, moving on. Yeah, true. <laughs> As I mentioned, Train to Busan would be my number one and everyone else would shuffle down one. Infernal Affairs, Grave of the Fireflies, I think the best animated, anime, animated, animated film I've seen out of Asia. Har- harrowing, absolutely hard to watch. Harakiri from 1962, which is very different. It's black and white, but not directed by Akira Kurosawa. It's, uh, yeah, hard to describe. Completely blew me away. I wasn't ready for how good that movie was really? and, and how different it was. So it's, yeah, ro- uh, samurai in that film are not depicted to be honorable and whatever. So they're lying sacks of shit. Really? So it's quite different. And then my last one's In the Mood for Love. Right ho. There we are. What about your feedback on the topic at hand, the best of Asian cinema? Let's get to that in this segment that wraps up every show. It's called The Pop 10. Talk about. Pop 10. Talk about. off this week with Kevin Lawler, one of the top-level patrons of the show. Kevin, great to hear from you. Number three, Train to Passan. Number two, the, men- the film I mentioned, I Saw the Devil. Number one, the hero from Jet, Jet Lee. Lee. Jamie Davies had three, Howl's Moving Castle. Mm, oh, okay. Number two, The Handmaiden. Number one, Parasite. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Kidd had number three, My Neighbor Totoro. My oh. daughter and I watched together and had is a great moment. Number two, Train to Passan. So damn slick. And number one, very similar to The Chaser, Memories of Murder. Oh. Some of the shots in this film made my blood run 
cold. Wow. John Slander, new patron to the show. Thank you, John, for your support. So number three, audition. When the bag does its thing. Do you know it? Yeah, it's a Takashi Miike film. Okay, okay. Yeah, and it's a very dark is yeah. how I would describe it. Okay. Number two, The Raid Redemption. So I think that's the first Raid. It is. This is Barenthal, I think is the second one. One of the best martial arts movies ever. And number one, different John Woo film starring international action yeah. star Chow Yun Fat. I'm sure no one's sick of that. I'm sure <laughs> Wade's not sick of it looking at the expression <laughs> on his face. Uh, the Killer is his number yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron Dundee had trained to Basan, Death Trance and Old Boy. Mm-hmm. Chef Ben Randall. Here we go. I wonder if you can pick up a theme here, Wayne. I want you to squint. Here we go. Think really hard. Number three, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Oh, God. Number two, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Number one, Godzilla 1985. Eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla. Stu for the Stu World Order podcast. Great show. Check Stu. out Stu said. We're going to have him on the show at some stage so he can berate me personally for my taste in films. Good. Your name? Mm-hmm. One Cut of the Dead. Fuck, I knew there was something I forgot. Is that that one with the funny, like the, with the meta? Oh, that's a great call. Well played, Stu. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, mm. yeah, I don't want to spoil it. If you haven't seen yeah. One Cut of the Dead, it's a zombie f- movie, but it's also a comedy and it works. And Parasite for Stu. Well done there. Etion uh, Filion. Save. Save has listed three films from every fucking country in Asia just because he's protesting. Mm. So I'm just going to read his three from Japan. Akira, mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke, oh, and yeah. Dreams, a film I don't think I've even heard of. Me neither. Hmm. Erica San Pedro said, oh dear. And this might back up your claim here, Wayne. Despite being Asian, Filipino, I do not watch enough Asian films, but here's my list. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> Number three, shoplifters from Japan. Number two, In the Mood for Love from Hong Kong. Number one, Train to Pasan, which is Korean, of course. Great list there. Last for you to wrap it up then, Mark Ellis Reagans from the So Wizard podcast. I often read from Joey, so I thought nice that Mark Ellis has contributed today. Here is his three, and I want you to spot the the theme. Another theme, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Hard Boiled. (laughs) Number two, The Killer. (laughs) Number one, do you think it stars... International oh, fucking hell. Star, Young Fat. <laughs> this is why you chose better this tomorrow. One. <laughs> uh, thanks, Joey. No, that wasn't Joey. That was Sorry. Mark Ellis. Thanks, Mark Thank Ellis. Thank you, Mark Ellis. All right. Uh, Matt Evans had The Farewell, Train to Passan and Parasite. And last contributor this week, Chris Sutherland. Thank you, Chris. I can't do me this. I'll mention some gems people probably wouldn't have, but would never watch, but would enjoy. Shinobi. Mm. Arahan and Shadow. Shadow I've seen. Very good film. Well worth a watch. I want to say I have, but I don't know if I have. Okay, go on. That's Thank you to everyone who got back to us. There was a lot of feedback. and I only put it up last night very, very late. So I do apologize for not giving people the normal window to get back to us with. Thank you so much for contributing to this topic and indeed everything to do with the countdown. We really, truly do appreciate it. We're sorry we missed you out. Wayne, how did good folk get in touch with us and let us know their feedback on the topic at hand or indeed more generally about the show? Google the Countdown Podcast, get our socials, bust us an email at thecountdownpodcast at gmail.com or look at our website, which I will rebrand very soon. Yeah, we'll uh, get to Thecountdownpodcast.com. And look, otherwise, follow us on Podbean where we host the show. We've already spoken about the Facebook listening community. Do get involved there in the discussions with a great, great group of welcoming, like-minded people in, the, in a nice way. <laughs> and otherwise, uh, yeah, I reckon that's about it for today. Wait, next it. week, what are we doing for episode 430? Top 10, last 10. There we go. I've already mentioned it. That's the, the shtick. Wayne has how many films to watch this week to make up your list? Um, I'm going to say six. Fucking hell. That's not too bad. Usually it's 10. 
How have you not seen more than four other films? Because I'm watching cunting films for this fucking show. No, no. I had to watch a Chinese film for this show. Because you are dating. (laughs) No. It's actually because I'm fucking. It's like you can only watch so many motherfuckers. I've watched more than 10 extra films. And I've watched several TV series. Yeah, you can manage your time and shit. And I coach two nipple teams. And you got kids and a family. And and my anus. You know, whatever, man. Don't have, to, don't have to look, up your, look after your anus as much as everything else, though, because that tends, tends to take care of itself. It does do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us again today for episode 429. It's been an absolute pleasure. My name is Paul. My name is Wayne. And this has been The Soundboard. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. When you're dealing with Wayne. We'll catch That's you true. next time. See ya. See ya.